0: Marketing Sweats friends, today I am excited to introduce you to somebody that I've really come to admire here in our local healthcare community. I have Jennifer Junis, who is the vice president of OSF On Call. And for those of you who may not be familiar with OSF On Call, It's actually an organization here in town that was originally set up as one of the OSF hospitals and it was named St. Gabriel. But the vision behind this hospital was very different than the rest in that it was going to one day become a hospital without walls. And when I heard about this, I really had trouble getting my head around that. The idea being that the patron saint of communication, St. Gabriel, is the name of what would one day be the digital health arm of OSF. And so today, if you see OnCall in our community, you're probably pretty familiar with the OnCall Urgent Cares, which are sort of the brick and mortar side of the brand, the retail arm, if you will, where we as healthcare consumers can walk in and get the services we need. But the On Call brand also has a whole host of digital products and services that are offered to the community to offer to healthcare providers. There's actually a B2B division of this brand that some analysts supporting. And so I asked Jennifer to come on the show to not only talk to us about her background, which is extensive in healthcare. And I think you'll find that she is the kind of leader that can really get things done, right? She's turned around several healthcare organizations in our community, but she also really gets people. And so she walks us through what it was like to set up the on brand, kind of where they are today and kind of what's on the horizon. So if you've been interested in this trend in healthcare, I highly encourage you to have a listen. She's going to talk to us about all the ups and downs and in-betweens of coming up with something new. My friend, Jennifer Junis. Welcome, Jennifer. Glad to have you.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: I always love to give our listeners a little bit of an understanding about your story and your background. I'd love to know about you personally and sort of how you came up in the biz and then sort of ended up at OSF.
1: So I'm the oldest of of three children. I come from a small rural town. I was the first in my family to go to college. I had found myself in a hospital and I was kind of fascinated by all of the technology, believe it or not. And I thought, I think I'll go to nursing school. That looks really interesting. And I got an associate's degree in nursing. Absolutely fell in love with just caring for people and, and trying to make the healthcare system better. So I went back for a bachelor's degree and then a master's degree in nursing administration, always with the eye to how can I help more? Started with my five patients that I was assigned and then really looking at more from a global standpoint, how can I, how can I advance healthcare? So I started my executive career. So I had managed a couple of nursing units. I was working for a health system. I had about a hundred nurses. I had a really large post op surgery floor. We had combined a couple units, had a construction project under my belt, and I thought I think I want to take the next step in that executive realm, be a chief nursing officer. And so I had interviewed with a small, rural, critical access hospital. I didn't even know what that was at the time. But I ended up going on the interview and asking a lot of questions, learning a lot about rural healthcare, what it takes to run a 25-bed hospital, that it takes all the same things that it does to run a 600-bed hospital, but just on a much smaller scale and what a lifeline those small community hospitals are to the community and, and the residents. So, And I just dove right in and really just started learning hospital operations across the entire care continuum.
0: That's great. And so you ended up just taking on more from there. You ended up moving to a bigger hospital. Yes.
1: Yeah. So I was at Kiwani Hospital, which then led me to the sisters of OSF. So it was really exciting to work with the sisters to learn about their mission, about all the things they had invested in and and the care that they were designing and delivering and, and then was able to become a part of that as we decided to join and integrate that hospital into the OSF healthcare system. So then about a year later, the regional CEO came to me and said, you know, we are acquiring another small community hospital, critical access hospital, and we would love for you to go over and integrate them into the system because you've lived through this as their president. So I became the president of St. Paul Medical Center in Mendota a year later, a year to the day later that I had joined OSF. And then I stayed there almost three years really shepherding them, and I so enjoyed that. But but they were doing so well at the time. I thought, well, I'll move on to the next opportunity then and move to a little bit bigger hospital in St. Mary's in, in Galesburg as their president.
0: You must be really a systems thinker, right? Like you can take a ship and turn it around and move it in a good direction, and it just, your responsibilities just kept growing. So talk about how, after having all of that operational experience, which we don't often get to see as a, you know, consumer of healthcare, right, of all the things that go on behind the scenes, how you were approached to join OSF on call.
1: Yeah. So it was quite a journey. I had never a dream that I would be leaving Galesburg. There was a lot happening there, but About the same time as I took that role on, I was also asked by Michelle Conger, our chief strategy officer, to become the executive champion for our strategy around digital transformation. And at the time, I was like, why is she asking me to do this? Like, I don't know anything about digital transformation. I know everything about hospital operations, I think. And at the time, she really said to me, I really need a strong leader. I need someone that has relationships and a voice within our system and can really think about this from an operational standpoint of the impact that digital transformation can have from a consumer side, but also then how it impacts our mission partners, which we call our employees, and our providers, our physicians and our advanced practice providers. Then I thought, well, I've got a lot to learn and it sounds like a neat little project. So I came on board and really started learning from the ground up really about what digital transformation in healthcare was. You know, healthcare is going to have to jump on board and become more digital because our consumers expect it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about when you first came into the role. Like you said, this concept of digital health is kind of nebulous for so many of us and even describing it. I know personally, I've seen a huge shift in myself and how I engage with these services over the past few years, but you came on board pre-COVID, is that right?
1: Yeah, March of 2019. Michelle called me and said that the sisters had taken, you know, a lot of things that she was doing in the digital transformation space and had decided that they really wanted to invest in the structure around it so that there was someone, there was a team that would wake up every day really moving this body of work from strategy to implementation. And she's like, would you be interested in that? And so when I came on, I started in August building the entity of at the time, we called it St. Gabriel Digital Health, because we really wanted our organization to see it as another entity. And so all of our hospitals have saint names. And with St. Gabriel being the patron saint of communication, it really made sense to really try from an internal standpoint to help our organization understand that this was going to be an entity that lived within our health system, but would span far beyond the the communities or, or the walls of the hospital. That was all pre-COVID. And so we started really by then really looking at how you operationally define each of the areas, all of the things that were coming into this so Base, went out and recruited, hired the team, hired three vice presidents, a chief nursing officer, a chief medical officer, started building just like you would if you were building a brand new hospital, the infrastructure.
0: That background on St. Gabriel is so critical to even the brand story today. So I'm going to ask you a little bit about the products and services OSF On Call offers. I think that'll give people a better perspective. But let's start with even the name On Call, because I think that was interesting how you had to sort of come to market with a new brand very quickly, right, during COVID. And even some of your earliest customers were OSF providers themselves. Is that right?
1: Yes. And I'll be honest, you know, when we when we made the switch, we already had on call as a brand, we were using it for our virtual urgent care. And so then we really kind of laid out the path to rename all of our, at the time, they were called ergos, OSF ergos, they were urgent care bricks and mortar clinics in our markets. At the time, we had eight or nine of them. We now today have 26. And they're all rebranded OSF on-call. And so that was a big rebranding effort. But we really felt on-call fit all of the products and services that we were delivering on from a remote patient monitoring, um, digital interaction, virtual care, delivery, as well as then even just that front door, front entry, navigation, scheduling, all of those things that live within the on-call space.
0: That makes good sense, but I can't imagine sort of the brand confusion that may have existed in the market at that time. And any of us that live in the marketing space know how important that is, right? To make sure things happen quickly and seamlessly, a lot of communication around it. Talk a little bit about the efforts that you all made as you migrated to make sure that that storefront experience or the retail, if you will, brand showed up consistently in market. But then also you have all these other digital products that you're offering hospitals and providers and insurance brokers, things like that. Can you explain the difference there?
1: Yeah, I think we really, from a marketing standpoint, it's not my background, but we've got, you know, a great team and great partners that really walked me through that to start to compare to other brand families, uh, families of brands, I guess, when you think of, you know, Procter Gamble and then the products under those, you know, they did a lot of exercising with me to help me understand some of that because it was really important for me to understand that so that I could understand how we were actually going to get from all these disparate brands or names that we had to really one consistent message. And not only did we have to do that externally, But we really, I mean, we have almost 800 mission partners that report up through our structure that we always know they're the best brand ambassadors. So we had to help them understand why we were making some of the shift and You all know, you know, you become really attached to those things. But we also knew we had to do it quickly because we really were in the infant stages of launching all of our products and that we needed to do it early on before our scale became so big that we wouldn't be able to do it.
0: Well, I give you guys a ton of credit. We work with all kinds of organizations in many industries and sort of that quickly ripping the band-aid to move an organization in a direction is critical or, or all of that emotional attachment sort of hangs on. And I can tell you my emotional attachment to the brand has shifted a ton in 12 months. So good for you. Good for you for making that happen. So let's explain in a little bit more granularity what OSF On Call actually does and offers. It took me a while to get my head around all your product offerings, Jennifer, and it wasn't actually until I had an opportunity to tour your facility where I saw all these humans delivering digital virtual services and there were humans on the other side that I was like, wow, this is going to revolutionize healthcare. So maybe for those of us who don't get that inside peek, walk through kind of some of the services you provide.
1: We have three main divisions that fall under OSF On Call, the first being the digital experience. So that's really what we think of anything pre-visit, pre-interaction of clinical care. So that's our AI-driven chatbot, Claire, that lives out on our website It's all of our online scheduling components, a lot of our proactive outreach, being able to use SMS text, those kinds of things, as well as then the scheduling, navigation, referral, really think about help me find my way in in this complex system from a digital standpoint. And then the, the second division is what I really think of as the care, and it's named digital care. And it is really all of those things remote patient monitoring-wise from the very lightest touch of we have applications, we have health apps we have health coaches, we have digital health workers, which is a playoff of community health workers that are out in our communities that help our communities download health apps, connect them to services, connect them to community organizations, because we know the social determinants of health are so important, as well as then we do chronic disease management, where we monitor chronic disease management with applications and a centralized clinical team that can look for those outliers of when maybe your blood sugar is getting elevated or your blood pressure is getting elevated, and we can intervene before something becomes more serious. Sure. And then we have a whole team in there as well um, that is called advanced care. And that's really remote patient monitoring that's a little more in depth than just an application and a blood pressure cuff. It is a full scale. You get a, a tablet, you get a nurse and a provider and a whole care team that's rounding on you on a daily basis. And those are really for those patients that have multiple chronic diseases. They have a lot of comorbidities. They may be in and out of our hospital or in and out of our emergency department. And so really helping them be monitored at home to prevent some of that coming back into the system where they don't want to be at all, you know, back admitted into the hospital. They want to stay in their homes. And then another product within that division that we're just launching is our hospital at home. So this is where we will care for acutely ill patients in their home, just like if they were in the hospital. Besides, we will be monitoring them from a command center, a clinical command center here at the on-call building. And then they'll have nurses and providers that come in and out of their homes as needed. And then they really are admitted to their home from the emergency department, just like they would be admitted to a bed in a hospital. Wow! And that is kicking off in May.
0: This is amazing. And, you know, I feel like my firsthand experience leveraging some of these services was when my grandmother, who was in her 80s, got COVID. And I had recently had COVID, so I volunteered to take care of her. And so the services we were able to get probably more out of your digital care bucket really started to help me understand my own resistance to change and how, you know, really there's really positive outcomes and metrics associated with operating this way. So has that been something you've been working on too, is just overcoming that, that resistance through educational materials and metrics and data? Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So we really started our whole remote patient monitoring program with with our um, COVID at home program, and so we really felt like when COVID first hit, we were kind of sitting here, at a brand new entity, a brand new team, and thinking about what could we do to really help take all this pressure off of our health system. And we knew there were a couple of things, right? In the beginning before really anyone had very much information and it was really that worried well. People were like, do I have COVID? Do I not have COVID? It was before, before testing, before vaccine, before we really had a lot of information, and so we programmed our AI-driven Claire, our chatbot, to really be that first-level screening. So you could go in and you could ask Claire questions, and then she would guide you. Yeah, your symptoms are you know, sounding a little like COVID. I'm going to send you over to a nurse. And then that nurse would be able to deploy our digital health worker who would deliver a pulse oximetry. That was really important in the beginning of COVID. We had lots of respiratory syndrome that was coming out of that first wave. And then we would monitor from here. And really be that, that 24-7, 365 check-in for that patient so that they didn't have to go to our clinic, go to the emergency department, and expose community members and expose our caregivers who we really needed to take care of the sickest patients. And we cared for over 10,000 patients.
0: That's crazy. Now, did you proactively map those touch points to know that you could deliver that continuum or care? Or were you sort of building the plane while you were flying it?
1: Yeah. So in the beginning, we really relied on our clinical team. We're very dependent on on our clinical experts. And with OSF Healthcare's 140 years history of providing healthcare, we really relied on our doctors and our advanced practice providers and our nurses and our clinical structure that we have within OSF because the information was changing constantly. And we have a great centralized team that was monitoring all of that across our health system for all the different touch points across our ministry. So we were able to leverage them. Many of the protocols we were using in person, we just transitioned those to our digital platform. And we were able to then really think about how we not only use technology, but it's embedded with our clinical expertise.
0: Got it. Yeah, that makes good sense. Sort of backwards engineering what people would experience in person, right? Only in digital ways. And I also picked up on as you were walking us through your product strategy there, this has to help you guys serve more of an underserved or rural population, which goes back to your story. But talk a little bit about why that's important to your mission.
1: Yeah, so I spent so much of my career in a rural healthcare setting where we were constantly begging for any specialty or any doctor that we could get recruited for the community so that our patients could receive their care locally so they didn't have to travel. And telehealth, the remote patient monitoring, these are all great ways to do that. And what really on-call helps do is because a lot of small hospitals are are doing this or trying to do it and kind of piecemealing it a little bit. It allows us to get scale to really be able to serve more. And I think we learned that that's one thing COVID really helped us understand. Very specific to COVID, but that we could care for 10,000 patients in a span of six to nine months with a relatively small clinical team that was pretty impactful. And so really thinking now how we continue to design those programs. So we've been very fortunate. We've received um, some funds from the state of Illinois under their Medicaid transformation work. So the state of Illinois called for proposals around how we can take the Medicaid system that we have today in the state of Illinois and really transform it. And as soon as we saw that, we're like, we have to apply. Like we've learned so much on what you can do digitally and how our communities from every age, every class be able to really engage digitally. We learned that people will, like they just will. And so we put together a proposal and we received $57 million over the next five years to design around behavioral health and how to scale That through digital applications and community health workers, digital health workers, chronic disease management, prenatal and postnatal care, augmentation through digital means for those um, moms that don't seek prenatal care. How can we start to interact with them digitally, educate, and then really using SMS text to outreach for those cancer screenings. We've done several grant proposals around that. We have lots of data around that. That has been really successful.
0: Talk to you a little bit about your innovation process, because that's what I think is cool, too, is you, you see the need so clearly, but then you have to stand up these services in, in very unique ways. Is that something that OSF has a methodology for, or how does that come to be?
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting, you know, back to Michelle Conger again, she's been building the infrastructure around this for about seven, seven or eight years, starting with our advanced analytics team. So that reports up through Michelle as the chief strategy officer, we have about 80 mission partners in our advanced analytics team, because all of this starts with data. So you've got to have that as a foundation. And then our Innovation Center over at the Jump Simulation Center, that whole team was formed to really look at how to find solutions for the problems that we were seeing in the data or seeing. And then really, we're kind of the last arm of it, of how we actually then deliver that to the patients.
0: That makes good sense. So really it's leveraging all of OSF's power and ability to pull all that together. Okay. We'll talk a little bit about OSF's footprint in Peoria. I think we are all watching that in the news and you know, with the headquarters location downtown. And like I said, even my opportunity to tour your on-call location and then the Cancer Institute. What I'm hearing in the community, Jennifer, is OSF may have a bigger footprint here, at least jobs-wise, than maybe even what Caterpillar provided this community historically. So talk about your commitment to this area and kind of what we can all look forward to.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that really goes back to our sisters. I mean, this is our sister's home. This is where they were called to serve 140 some years ago now. And I think, you know, really a renewed commitment. Certainly Kevin Sheplein, our our CEO, when I joined OSF was quite the visionary and was really looking towards the future of healthcare. And then I think when Bob came in to his role, Bob Searing as our, as our system CEO, he really brought the community. We need to continue to grow the downtown, you know, he originates from New York and the Bronx and you know, I mean, so there was just a real commitment to investing in the community, especially here in Peoria as, as a headquarters and really, As we've grown, you know, I think we had seven hospitals when I joined OSF eight or nine years ago, and now we have 15. Um, So just the rapid growth and knowing that we have a lot to give back to the community and especially grounded in our Catholic beliefs, our Franciscan beliefs of really serving.
0: Sure. Sure. Well, what I think is exciting is obviously the services that OSF provides isn't so important, but then just how it's almost changing the culture of our community. I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they said, you know, we really need to be the kind of place that shows up for all the people who are going to be here in terms of almost like a customer service feel or environment to Peoria. So I'm excited to watch that unfold.
1: Yeah. And I just think also just the innovation. So I think that that's something that OSF has really brought to the community as well. And, you know, Peoria naturally had some of that innovative startup kind of feel, but being able to be able to really bring the healthcare side of that, I think has been pretty great and is really setting a great foundation for, for our community to continue to grow. That's that's the ultimate goal. Care for everyone that is here, build that, but also then growth is such a key component. Just recently did an interview recently and they were like, if you had one piece of advice and and I said, do something. Let's do something. Even if it fails, you learn from it and then you can pivot and you can add to it or you can go, yeah, that didn't work. Well, let's try something else. So I think that's really important.
0: And I love that you use the language we're showing up. I mean, there's physical manifestations now of how you're doing that. So let's build on that momentum. And yes, it's important to sit around the tables and talk, but then go impact lives, right? And you're doing that in big ways. Cool. Well, I definitely see the metrics even that you have posted on your website. Like it's happening. You say 27% decrease in ICU stays, 600K digital patient interactions, 10,000 people served during COVID. We talked about that already. So you actually have metrics. This isn't just something we're talking about. It's moving. How do you see that evolving even over the course of the next 12 months? It sounds like you have lots of things in the works.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, we haven't even spent too much time on our retail arm. So the on-call urgent care clinics, we saw 160 thousand patients through those clinics last year. Twenty-eight thousand of those were brand new to OSF; they had never used OSF before. And then ten thousand of them hadn't used OSF in the last eighteen months. And so, really connecting again and being here. We know that not everybody wants a long-term relationship with a healthcare system. But being able to provide that quality health system to new patients and to our existing patients or our patients that haven't used us for a long time is just one one avenue. I think that really helps. And then they'll think about us when they do need something more long-term or they're ready for that next step in their healthcare journey to have a relationship. Hopefully, they'll think about the service they got when they cut their finger on Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving Day, we were open for them to come in and get their stitches. So I do think that the retail arm has been a great aspect of saying, we're here for you. You don't have to come to us all the time. You don't have to have a relationship with us, but we're still going to be here for you.
0: Love the accessibility of that and just the seamlessness between transitioning to offline online, which is something every marketer is struggling right now. Has that been a journey for you guys? Have you feel like you're keeping all the dots connected, I guess, if you will?
1: Yeah, I think it goes back to really that brand awareness too and making sure, you know, we talk a lot about this in our in our scheduling work and that digital experience work in our omni-channel. Uh, we say it's omni-channel. So if you're calling us, you should get the same answers and the same service as if you're chatting with us or if you're scheduling a- online. So really trying to create that seamlessness, across, which as you know, is a full-time job to try and keep all of those things as, as this digital marketing world evolves, making sure all of that is the same. And I think, you know, our virtual urgent care and our bricks and mortar urgent care, you know, really that's you should have the same experience. And we've really put a lot of effort towards that. If you look at our marketing, if you go to the website, how do you like it? Do you want to come in person or do you want to do this virtually? Because we know everybody has a
0: preference. That personalized experience is so important. And this is a question mark I've had as Samantha has got more deeply involved in digital marketing with healthcare. How do you manage what is a very sort of highly regulated environment with PII and making sure you're following HIPAA, while at the same time personalizing those marketing experiences. I feel like that's a challenge.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that we work on every single day. It's a fine line. If you log on Amazon and they know what you have bought and so they're sending you things that, that you might like, it's a little bit different than your healthcare. So we definitely want a personalized experience, but we want it to be at your discretion. So a lot of what I would call assessment, we really learned this during COVID. You know, I think there was a lot of us, you know, me included that thought everybody would want us to give them a device. And really, no one wanted us to give them a separate device. They wanted to use their own device. So that's an assessment we do on the front end as we do some of our remote patient monitoring. You know, How do you want to be communicated with? Some of our patients want to call us. They want to talk on the phone. Some never want to. They want to be able to text us and chat with us. And so I think it's a lot of really assessment. And then back to that data level, getting that data in a state that that can surface. So I know you, Misty, like to be text messaged. And these are the things you like to be texted about. You like appointment reminders. You want, I mean, so I think it goes back to, we have to make sure we have all this information. Trust me. It's just how we surface it and make it actionable.
0: It's so good to hear. It sounds like you guys have a strong strategy for that, even though it's challenging. I mentioned the tour that I went on earlier and I was walking around and one of your nurses, I imagine, was delivering care to maybe six different individuals on a screen. And I imagine it was maybe your EICU offering. And I thought, wow, like literally with a push of a button, you have a healthcare provider there that can answer your question, especially in a rural environment. And so that's really what kind of brought it all home for me of how powerful this is going to be. I'm sure there's countless personal stories you've heard of of people really feeling like your services are impacting lives.
1: Yeah. And I, maybe I'll just tell one from the EICU. I actually was just rounding down there last week and and talking to the the nurses and they're really talking about really everything they saw during COVID. And one of the nurses really talked about, you know, a small rural hospital that had never had a patient on a ventilator before And so they're able to walk them through. And it was a hospital that's outside of our healthcare system, but knew we provided this and called and asked for help. And so I do think that there's just so much knowledge and expertise that we were able to really help those small rural hospitals within our own system and outside of our own system be able to care for those patients that they had really never had that complexity level of patients before. And like I said, everything was changing from a day-to-day standpoint. And so we had our pulmonary critical care doctor that was on the front lines of our care guidance team to really be able to spread that across all of our
0: hospitals. Jennifer, with the way things are changing and the trends in healthcare, is it likely that more services will be delivered digitally than even in person in the future? And sort of what's the trajectory of that outlook?
1: Yeah, you know, there's a lot. I would have said... I I don't know what I would have said, honestly, pre-COVID. I I would have said we had a really uphill battle. But then, you know, really, everybody adapted during COVID out of necessity. But we have seen it kind of taper back off, just like all of us. We all thought it was pretty novel to get our food delivered at home on a Friday night. But now we want to go out. (laughs) We want to talk to people. So I think there will always be a balance. And I think that's the beauty of it. And I think that's somewhere where I really talk a lot across our health system. We're not here to take all of that. There will always be a need for in-person care. But how do we augment it? How do we create more access? We certainly can do that through digital and virtual means.
0: All right. Well, I can't let you go unless I ask a little bit about you. At the end of our discussion, I always like to understand the leaders that I'm talking to. And you've already shared a ton with us about some of your core truths or beliefs as far as execution and just do something, um, fail fast. All of those things seem like they're core to your personality. But what else? What are some of your secrets of success or pieces of advice that you have to offer others?
1: Yeah, I think I touched on it, but I didn't spend a lot of time on it. But it's all about getting the right leaders on the team and the right mission partners on the team and then setting that culture, a culture of accountability, but a culture of really all moving towards the same the same goal. And I think that is really important. And I've had a lot of success in making sure that it starts with having the right team members and then the right structure. And then really being that leader who helps decrease barriers and just holds a a culture of accountability to continue to move towards those goals.
0: Well, you're after my heart because that's all the things I say, right? Get the right players on the bus and point them in a direction and let them go. But the other thing that I've recognized in my limited amount of work with you guys is just how transparent and vulnerable and warm your players are. And so that's a really neat side of the culture to be able to work with firsthand.
1: Yeah, I think vulnerability is is a huge key piece. I mean, I shared all the some of the positives of the roles I've had. There's as many failure stories in there that that I've told to my team members, so that they understand that the failure is okay. I, I do think that's that's a real key piece. When I say failure, it is vulnerability because we all fail. It's how you communicate that and, and use that for learning, so that everybody feels like they have the ability to try new things and and fail at them as well.
0: Well, I want you to know that that extends all the way to your agency partners. Your team is awesome as far as, you know, making sure we know your expectations, but at the same time, understanding that we're human, nobody's perfect. So thank them for that. We'll get back to the rest of the interview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Samantha. I happen to know a thing or two about them because, well, I'm one of the owners. We are an industrial consumer marketing firm with an obsessive focus on customer experience. We create killer campaigns, but we also help organizations create programs that align back to their business strategies. Most importantly, we have a lot of fun and love what we do. And this year marks 40-ish years of doing it. Unfortunately, there's not enough time to explain the ish on this promo. But if you know us, you'll know it makes perfect sense. And if you don't, please reach out. We'd love to talk. Or you can head to semantle.com slash blog to learn more about us with articles, tips and tricks, do it yourself tools and much more to help you keep learning and growing right alongside us. All right. I'll leave you with the last question that I ask every single person on the show. Um, Is there a question that's rolling around in your mind right now? Something that you're struggling with that you'd love to ask someone else for feedback on? And maybe I'll pass it on to the next guest.
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, we're at a critical time right now. I mean, I, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge all the things that are happening in the world right now. It is a really critical time for all of us personally so I think it's just the balance, uh, the balance of paying attention and and being an advocate to the big things that are happening across the world, but then also knowing we've got to really focus on our little part that that we can do here as well. So I would love any advice on how you balance that because I struggle a little bit when I lay down to go to sleep at night uh, about where to really focus focus your attention sometimes because there's a lot of noise out there that that's really important.
0: I saw a similar post um, on LinkedIn today, you know, just, and I think for us in marketing, you're even closer to saving lives. So we're one step removed. So that's always the the message I have to remind our team is that, you know, your work matters, even in in your small part of the world, but definitely need to keep our eye on the bigger picture. It's going to be an interesting year. We've just come off of two challenging years. And so again, just need to stay focused and keep living out of that space of love. And I know you guys are doing that every day. So... Thank you, Jennifer. I really appreciate you being here.
1: Thank you. It was great chatting with you.
0: Well, there you have it, Jennifer Junis and her story. I've got to tell you guys, I heard Jennifer speak on a panel uh, several years back, and I was just fascinated by her knowledge and just her warmth. She's not only just a great visionary and leader, but she knows how to get things done and she does that through people. So really have appreciated to get to know her. I hope you appreciated her insight and her perseverance and her planning and her business savvy as much as I did, and also just have an appreciation now for what a major transformative effort OSF is going through to stay on the cusp of what is new trends that are going to impact all of us. So I'm excited for you to continue to get to know what the OSF on-call brand is doing. Uh, Pay attention in the news. There's lots happening. And I think that we can all be advocates for this really important trend that's going to impact us and our families. So Hang in there, stay in touch, listen to more episodes of Marketing Sweats on season five. You can download anywhere you listen to podcasts and don't forget to give us review. Thanks friends.